Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize their growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right. Uh, excited to get this episode going with someone I've known for a little while now, um, Greg Strickland. So, I mean, your background, I feel like for those of you who know of you, you're like this Valley uh, legend's not the right word, but like you, you're very, very well known in the Valley for uh, leadership and excellence in scaling teams. You were um, the the VP of Operation Global Ops at Box for a long time. You were the CEO at Periscope Data, and now you advise a bunch of the fastest growing companies in the Valley, like Product Board and Loom, and many more that I won't name right now. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm not very good at this, so I'll, I'll throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to start. You know, I, I think we can keep yeah. it casual. Um, so, you know, for those listening, Greg has this tremendous track record of coming into businesses and figuring out, you know, based on their their stage, what it's going to take to unblock them and for them to scale. Uh, hopefully, I didn't butcher that for you, Greg. But um, where did that come from for you? Like, how did you get to this place you are today? Yeah. Um, no idea. I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, the simple answer is, uh, I said yes to a lot of things that I was totally unqualified for. Right. Um, and just had this fundamental sort of grit and grind and learning mentality. Uh, and I was very, very, very fortunate that people said yes, uh, to me as well, uh, allowing me to stretch and be generally for my entire career over my skis. Um, and so I have, I have a lot of empathy for people starting out in their career, uh, and how do they get from, you know, what their title says at their, at their current stage of the company to where they want to get. And there's a lot of lateral movements, right? Uh, kind of jumping sideways, saying yes to things, learning things. And then one day you sort of wake up and you kind of manage some of those functions. Um, but yeah, I, you know, my, my parents were very sort of blue collar and a lot of nature where it was work harder than other people. Um, and then, you know, education is important, but we didn't necessarily have a, a clearly defined track record of that in my family. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a lot of do the job, don't be half-assed, as my dad would say, um, and uh, and you know, be a good human, 
uh, be empathetic. Everybody's job is hard. It's just hard in different ways. Um, so I don't know if that, I mean, that's like the simplistic answer. There's a lot of mistakes, of course, when you're in over your skis, but you learn from them and try not to replicate them. Yeah. I love, um, you know, we, we work with you a fair amount, uh, with some of the companies you advise and internally, we always, when we're, when we're talking about you and, uh, you know, if you're not in the room, we, we can always rely on you to just be really like straight and say what you mean. And I think that's almost as simple as it sounds, a rare quality. Like there's a lot of kind of beating around the bush in the valley sometimes and um, indirectness. And I, and I feel like you're able to just cut straight to the chase. And like when you say something, it keys into whatever is important to be talked about and, and nothing else, which is, which is pretty impressive. So I, I, if I were to brand you with my marketing hat on, I think you're kind of known as like this first time CEO whisperer. Um, how, how do you approach that and, and why do people come to you for that? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's just, uh, you know, through my career and through various experiences, um, I just found myself being the person who was not afraid to tell the CEO or the emperor that they had no clothes on. Right. Um, and it's just an, an approach of not necessarily being afraid of ever losing your job for speaking something that you think is authentic and true. Um, and you can do it in such an empathetic way. You don't have to be a jerk. I mean, everyone's probably worked for jerks. Um, and I think you've got to build relationships and trust and feel like you're taking uh, as much of uh, a sense of ownership as that CEO is in their business and really care about it to know that then your advice and your feedback is coming from a place, um, of sort of goodness, uh, versus being mean, right? Like, I don't want your job. I don't want to be CEO. CEOs be a very, very lonely job. Uh, and it's very hard. Um, and there's not a lot of people you can talk to. Maybe you have a co-founder or whatnot that you can bounce back and forth. But generally, those paths diverge between a CEO and a CTO pretty quickly. Um, and so I do think they appreciate that they can have really honest sort of raw conversations with me. And that one, they won't hurt my feelings. And, and two, that they'll hear, you know, exactly what I think. And also, you know, what I've sort of gleaned from signal from their team, because maybe their team is too afraid to say it, uh, but I generally am not. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, early on, I worked at a company uh, that was trying to build wine bars and airports, which is a highly regulated, hard industry. And the two <laughs> founders were former Deloitte bigwigs. And so I was in trapped in a small conference room for, you know, 12 hours a day with these two former Deloitte people. And I learned a lot of the methodology, but I also just learned like somebody needs to tell them that, running a startup is very different than running a project at Deloitte. You know, you can't churn and burn a bunch of MBAs and then have them at the ready. Like this is your team that you're going to want for a while. Uh, and so I think it was just that, that voice. And then it was generally accepted pretty well. And, and I think it just sort of compounded upon itself. So I, I love that you're open about this being, uh, you know, through your career, as you've grown, feel, feeling like you're out over your skis. I think that's a feeling that a lot of people secretly have and don't always openly yep. share, or at least you know, they wait until it doesn't matter if they share it anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm curious if there are any kind of standout moments for you personally that were pivotal in your own growth, where maybe you got super far out over the skis, learned something the hard way or, or however, like what were some of those key moments for you? Yeah, I think every every job I've taken, um, every either new job or every promotion that I've ever had, I was certainly in over my head. Um, and I was pretty honest with it. And I'd find mentors. Uh, you know, I think there's people who have, they can give sort of a cachet list of mentors. For me, everybody is a mentor. You know, you can you can watch how even you know an individual contributor on a marketing team shows up at a meeting and just is so 
eloquent and on how they communicate what it is they're trying to do. And you can sort of, you can take pieces from that and sort of incorporate it into uh, gaps that you know that you have. Um, and, and so for me, it was a lot of listening and, and sort of, you know, par- uh, parroting, if you will, uh, what other people did to try to fill uh, some of my own gaps. And, and again, I get that just requires some self-awareness, but I'd say probably the, the one big one, if you need a sort of story was going and trying to expand internationally at box. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and that, neither did box to be fair. Right. They were like, uh, you know, you seem to be able to solve problems once you go solve this international problem. Um, and it was, it was, like, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, you know, like I didn't know any of the laws. I didn't have any network over there. Uh, I partnered up with a very senior operator over there who, um, you know, to his credit, sort of put up with this young kid who didn't know much. Um, and I learned a tremendous amount from him. And then I also, I think, balanced him out by my sort of exuberance, energy, passion, uh, and willingness to just go figure it out really, really quickly. And it was it was such a sort of special place that we had. Um, and we achieved really amazing things over a short period of time. So that one, I would probably say, you know, bubbles up to the top, but also didn't help that my wife was pregnant with her first child. She was eight months pregnant when we landed in London and had, you know, like lived, lived in a hotel and had to find an office, a, you know, a doctor, a flat in an office, just like within weeks. So it was pretty intense. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. Yeah. We don't do, as my wife and I say, we don't do easy. I don't know why, you know, it's just, it's a choice or just, you know, karmic energy, but we just don't do easy. So, so, I mean, this, this show is all about identifying patterns in playbooks and things, you know, as, as a, as a repeat seasoned operator that just goes in and gets shit done. Are there any reoccurring themes that kind of keep bubbling up and remain top of mind for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. Like I, you know, I, I do the insulting advising thing now. I mean, it's not, uh, it, it didn't, it wasn't part of my plan. Like I didn't have this plan. Oh, I'm going to go do this. It just sort of, I just said yes again to a bunch of things of people asking me to get involved in their portfolios after the last company uh, went through the acquisition. And, um, and it's been really fun because the last 18 months has been again, a huge learning curve for me being able to see, you know, multiple different CEOs, different leadership teams, different uh, market approaches and problems uh, in different spaces with different opportunities. It's all at the same time has been amazing. Um, and certainly there are very sort of clear themes when you get into sort of series B to C stage. Uh, people have some early traction. Uh, they've got some early signals. Maybe they got some happy years on some stuff. But a lot of what brought them to that stage is not going to sort of bring them out of it. And, and you know, people say that all the time. Um, but it's, you know, there's incomplete leadership teams. Uh, or maybe there's, you know, folks that are on the leadership team because, They've been there for a while, but they don't necessarily have all the requisite skills. You want to keep them engaged, but you're going to have to layer over them at some point. Uh, There's certainly goal setting kind of in real earnest for the first time and focus. And how do you actually have strategic conversations and drive alignment across departments? And there's always the fun part about departments is usually engineering is the most mature because you build something first and your engineering team like starts to develop process and methodology, uh, you know, way before. And then you all of a sudden add in a marketing team and a sales team, and they're very immature relative to the other department. And you have to spend a lot of time realizing like you guys are like 18 months ahead of this other junior organization that has like two people. So let's not have the same expectations of maturity. Um, and just even like calling that out and saying it, I think resonates with people because they don't think about it. 
Uh, and then certainly, you know, got to move up market, got to do outbound, do you do product-like growth versus, you know, sales-driven motion, and then certainly demand gen, which is why you and I know each other quite well. And I think everybody wants a thing from demand gen. They just don't know the methodology and the process at which to go gain confidence and be able to do it. And I, I think what what you bring to the table and have brought to the table and some of the, the companies we work for is this this methodology that is, is pretty simplistic and in, in practice, but really sort of hard to, uh, to do if you've never seen it done. And it's, it's all just test it, figure it out, iterate, pour gas on the things that work, pull back on the things that don't, and, you know, keep that muscle going inside of an organization. I think that's so key. Why? I'm, I'm, curious, I'm curious to dig into that. Like, why do you think companies take so long or stumble to get that right? Like, I think that call out that you mentioned is really good where they're inherently those orgs are just behind in their maturity. But there's so many companies that, you know, demand gen or some of these categories are top of mind for them. They're talking about it at the board level. They're, you know, they, they read all about it, but then they stumble to get it done and implemented. What, what do you think some of those reasons are? Yeah, I, I think just as you've probably seen every department become more analytically oriented, uh, marketing is no exception, right? I think, you know, the, the brand sort of CMOs are not as much in demand as the sort of growth oriented analytical type CMOs, um, because a lot of it is data and it's process and it's knowing, uh, how to run that, uh, at different level, levels of scale. Um, and so I think a lot of people say, you know, well, we grew to 10 million without, you know, sort of fully fleshed out demand orientation. And so we can continue to do that until they realize they start to hit diminishing returns in certain channels uh, or the viral nature of their product maybe doesn't meet their expectations of wanting to triple again. And all of a sudden they're on sort of the back foot of, well, we got to figure out this demand gen thing, or they bring in a VP of sales uh, and, and she, you know, needs a partner in marketing to actually drive pipeline and build uh, her own outbound machine. Um, and so I think it, it becomes reactive versus proactive, and then it becomes a scramble. Um, and I honestly think there there are a lot of really good demand generation marketers out there, um, but they're very hard to find. And then you have to actually trust them, listen to them, and not straddle them with a 3x sort of number and, and realize that they don't actually have to build that. Like you have to build fundamental infrastructure, you have to retool your website. Uh, all sorts of other things um, in order to actually make it work and hum. And it's an investment like it is in anything else. And, and everybody wants things quick. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, lots of uh, it's like a, tr- a challenge in trust and expectation setting. I feel like a lot of marketers uh, and growth people fail because they fail to do that expectation and trust building first um, before they go into doing what they know how to do a lot of the time. All right, so before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, so I haven't heard you swear on the show yet, which means we haven't gotten you up on a soapbox yet. Uh, if, if this were a different time, we'd be in person having beers and, um, 
I'm curious, like what, what are some of the things behind the scenes? You don't need to name any names, but just as far as patterns are concerned, like that you, that you frequently rant about, or that just are top of mind enough. And maybe they're, maybe they're not even negative things. Maybe they're just like mistakes you see over and over and over again. And you just wish people would shortcut for their own sake. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. top of mind there? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, it, yeah, I can, I can start swearing. Thank you. We got the green <laughs> light, but I, I, uh, uh I don't, I try not to complain very much. Um, I just, I like, I like figuring out solutions to yeah. problems and working through it. Um, I just think it's super easy to complain and it's super easy to like poke holes in other people's work and stuff. What's really hard is to give constructive feedback so that everybody sort of up levels all at the same time. That, that is hard. And uh, it's, you know, I try not to like toggle back to the easy answer, but yeah, the thing that you keep seeing all, all know is like, you know, a lot of first time entrepreneurs and CEOs um, one it's, do they have people telling them the truth? Uh, of what's really happening in perspective so that they can grow uh, somebody who gives them feedback on the areas where they absolutely suck um, uh, and allowing them to get out of their own way of their organization is a huge thing. Um, you know, uh, having worked closely with Aaron Levy at Box, uh, just an absolute insane human being uh, who is incredibly bright uh, and very, very passionate. Um, but he was sort of a harbinger of chaos in some ways uh, where he would go and just stop by and individual people's desks and just ask what they're working on and sort of redirect them in different things that he thought was cool. And you need to see the manager come over and no, 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 like we can't do that. We have, we have, we have things we have to do. Um, and then, you know, with other uh, CEOs, uh, they're either very operationally minded and very analytical. And so they get so far in the weeds that you have to like abstract back and go, what the fuck are we actually talking about right now? Like, what is the point? Um, and then others who, who are sort of maybe overly abstract and vision oriented that need to be anchored down to this is the reality of the business. Like you can't, what you're talking about is what you want to be true, not what is currently true. So let's bridge the gap between reality and your vision uh, and take it in sort of digestible chunks. So I wouldn't say like I complain about it. It's just those are the fun conversations because if you can build trust, uh, you can have those pretty honest dialogues and then make material progress. Yeah. I love that. That's one of my, one of my soapbox items is like the now Tam versus the blue sky Tam, right? Where founders are like, so used to pitching the the big, what it's going to be when they IPO vision. And then yeah. you've got this like on the ground operations team that's trying to get to that 20 million in ARR mark. And it's just, those are two separate Tams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would, lo- I would love to wake up tomorrow and have you know, some magical $200 million run rate, but like, dude, we're at 2 million, you know, it's gonna be hard to get to 10. <laughs> gotta go build a team, gotta go try a bunch of things and let's sort of increment our way there. Do you have any advice for folks? I mean, I think I've seen all of the things you just talked about. I've seen you put into practice and, and be, and like represent the opposite of that, like coming into a conversation, sit, sitting quietly for most of the conversation, then just like really bringing honing in on what matters and getting it on track and asking a sharp question that just focuses the team. So do you have any cues for yourself to make sure that you're being that person yourself? Like that, that might be helpful for yeah. other folks who are earlier in their career. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean like personal advice, you know, partner up with somebody who challenges you and is completely honest with you at all times. Um, uh, even if it's like ripping off a bandaid, I mean, I, like my wife is my hero in a lot of ways and she, uh, she has helped me develop thicker skin than I did you know, sort of 10 years ago. We have a, 
we have a philosophy in our family. I don't know if it's actually been written on the walls, but everything else has been written on walls um, <laughs> because we have four kids. But it's like, you know, it's a it's a critique. It's a critique oriented family. You know, and our, our daughter loves baking. She's watched every sort of great British baking show and she'll bake two or three times a week. And it's not like, oh, that's great, honey. While we sort of spit it out on the side because it's terrible. Like we'll go like that's, you know, here's the part that's good. Here's the part that's not good. Here's what I would tweak on the next one. Overall, we love your sort of effort. We're not a like good job kid family. We're like a play with sharp knives and incendiary devices and try things that are hard. Um, and, and so I think if I find myself being like overly happy or overly like congratulatory on, on anything, then I have to be really introspective and go, there's probably way more that we could have done. Um, we didn't set the goal high enough. We didn't push hard enough. Um, we didn't, um, sort of pull out all the stops and, and it's usually that point where I have to like, <laughs> there's, there's so much more to do and this is very hard. It shouldn't be this easy. Something's wrong. Um, and so I think maybe that's just like the paranoia that sort of seeps in. Um, yeah. I like that. It explains some of the, uh, stoicism, the, the Greg stoicism mm. that I see. Um, and, and as someone who I, we're expecting our first kid, so I'm going to need to get that, uh, play with sharp knives, uh, children's book yeah. playbook once, uh, <laughs> yeah. once it's ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? They'll, you know, they'll lose a finger and you know, they've got nine others, but you know, just better like life skills are hard and, um, you can be, you can guide somebody with a lot of empathy, but also allow them to make mistakes along the way. I always view them as like, is this a company ending mistake? Let's not do that. But is this like a, oh, this would be painful, but there would be a ton of personal learning and maybe organizational learning. Like, let's go ahead and let them run into that small wall. Um, and, and it's the same thing I think with parenting, although it's just it's more emotional and painful. So, okay. So you have four kids. I'm assuming I know part of the answer to this question, but I I like to dig into like what you said. There's no, there's no easy button in your family. You guys are, you you like things are on hard mode. How do you unwind and like clear your head from Mm. all of the intense work that you're doing? Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I'm very much a self-described workaholic. Um, You know, it's not, it's not like the, the grind mentality of, I, I do it for, I, like there's no no publicity about it. I just like working and I like um, working with uh, interesting problems and people and, and products. Um, and so like I get a lot of energy from actually doing the work in, in, in the space that we're in. Uh, so it does kind of energize me. Um, that said, you know, I, obviously family is very important. So I spent a lot of time with them. Um, I, during COVID, I, I picked up golf which is a very surprising thing. Anybody who knows me is like, what, what, uh, because my, my, my understanding of golf was like relegated to happy Gilmore. Uh, you know, that, that's what I thought golf was. But as I get older, I just, I just, so there's so much I appreciate about it. Um, the sort of, you know, the long game, mid game, short game and how hard it really is. And it's a very mental game as well. And so when you're in it, you're sort of, it forces you to focus and think about it. Uh, and then you also get sunshine and beer. So we can complain about that. Yeah. Any, any, any combination, those two things, plus fill in the blank. It's, it's sure to be good. Um, yeah. Are there any, I know you already answered this in part, the, the mentorship question. I, I like to ask, you know, who are some people who have been influential and it doesn't have to be like business mentors necessarily. It could just be people who have helped hone who you are today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I certainly I sort of mentioned too, I mean, on the 
personal side, you know, uh, my dad and my wife, I would say are the two. I mean, obviously there's a bunch of other people. Um, but you know, my, my dad was very like similar to me, sort of stoic, you know, one liners, uh, can communicate directly. Um, but a lot of those like, you know, measure twice, cut once, you know, don't do anything half-assed sort of ingrained in me. And my wife was very much like, you shouldn't have done this. You should have done this other thing. Cause that thing sucks. And it was like this strong feedback loop. I constantly get, uh, which has been incredibly valuable, uh, personally, and just also promoted that this, uh, fundamental, you can be authentic and still achieve good things without being sort of overly facade based. Um, and then at work, it's, it's literally been everybody that I've ever worked with. Um, you know, when I'm in a meeting and there's 12, 15 different people, I am never, and never intend to be the person talking the most at all. If I am, that's a bad meeting. Um, and giving space and air to other people to express their opinions and calling people out that I know are more introverted, but have amazing ideas to be, you know, to speak. Um, uh, I think that has been a wonderful thing that I've witnessed other leaders do and I've picked up on and, and try to drive. But, um, yeah, every CEO I've worked with, I've learned a ton as well. You know, the, the CEOs at Loom and Product Board and, and then the other folks, you know, I've learned things from them and I'm sure they've learned things from me. Um, so I just, I take a very broad brush to mentorship in that I think you can learn a ton from anybody that you're around if you understand what your own weaknesses and gaps and then strengths are. Are there any folks on the other side of the coin who, who maybe are earlier in their career and haven't yet received a bunch of recognition out there, but are, are doing really great work that, you know, you want to shout out to, or just who you're excited about their passion. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's quite a few, I mean, all those companies I just mentioned. Um, and then, you know, certainly uh, the Periscope days, there's, there's some amazing talent that's sort of floating around. Um, and then, you know, the box mafia is very, very strong and it's been wonderful to see, a lot of those folks um, go off and, and accelerate in their career. Um, uh, but, you know, I, there, there's a gentleman named Michael Butler who worked for me at Periscope who went to product board. And he actually helped me with the introduction. Mike, Michael is, um, uh, you know, took an unorthodox, not maybe not unorthodox, but he took a different path. You know, spent a lot of time in the military and came and Periscope was one of his first jobs. And he started as an SDR and then the AE. And he's incredibly self-motivated wants to drive and win and be a part of a winning team. And uh, for, for him and I, we actually spend quite a bit of time, you know, text messages back and forth. And I've been trying to, you know, put mentors in place for him to kind of continue to accelerate in his career. But uh, yeah, he, everyone has rough edges and he, he's not the, the exception. Um, but I think he's got a lot of runway and uh, he's done amazing things already for product board. And I'm excited to see him continue in his career. Awesome. Well, uh, Greg, this was fun. It's nice to dig yeah. in outside of our very focused meetings uh, that always have the same topic generally, but um, yeah. cool to learn more about the broader picture. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 